Let's pray. God, you are great. You have done great things in my life, and I know you have in others also. And I appreciate you for everything you have done in my life. And I hope going into a new year, you can be in everyone's heart and make their year great. I hope you speak through Rod today with his preaching. You are great, Lord, and thank you for everything you do for us every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, give it up for Brant. Thank you, buddy. So look, uh, we're going to have a uh, scripture read here in just a second, but you know, I, as I was thinking about church on January 1st, I kind of thought it would be like the Marines, it would be the few and the proud here. Uh, but hats off to you guys for being here this morning. Give yourselves a hand. That's awesome. How many had in a fight on the way here? No. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about who would show up on Sunday morning, January 1st, and I thought it's either the people that party like we do with the sparkling grape juice. I mean, that's, that's how we roll, you know, that's how we did it, right? Or these are the people that can really hold their liquor, okay? It's one of the two. So look, you're going to be looking around the rest of the day, looking around the room and wondering who each person falls, what category they fall into. Uh, it's Youth Sunday. They've been doing an awesome job. This is my son, Dane. He's going to read the passage for us this morning. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Then the man that had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five more, and gained five more. So also the one who with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew what I harvest where I had not sown and gather where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. All right. Thank you, buddy. Give him a hand. I knew all those years in school would pay off, and he can read. That's, I'm proud of him. Proud of you, pal. So listen, today's message is a parable. It's a story that Jesus used uh, to drive home a point, and I believe this is a message that is really applicable to us as we start a new year, gain some perspective on things, and Jesus would tell these parables or these stories to make a point. And so this morning, what we want to do is discover what that point is 
and then apply it to our lives so that we can uh, live as God intended us to live. So in order to do that, if you got your Bibles, the setting for this story, for this parable is really important. And we read, he read out of Matthew chapter 25. But if you would back up to the beginning of chapter 24, the setting for this parable is critically important to understand what Jesus is driving at in this story. And the setting is this. In the beginning of chapter 24, uh, the disciples are walking around Jerusalem with Jesus, and they're marveling at all the buildings. And Gabriel and I uh, got to go last March to Jerusalem, and you marvel at the ruins of these buildings, let alone the buildings. I mean, the, the ruins are phen- phenomenal. The stones are massive, and you're just in all of these. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, aren't these buildings amazing? And Jesus is not nearly as impressed with the buildings as I was or the disciples were apparently because he's like, I got to tell you something. Every one of these buildings you see will be ripped to the ground. And what he's referring to is in in 70 AD, the Romans would totally demolish the city of Jerusalem. And so he starts telling them at that point, he starts telling them stories uh, about how the world will end and truths about how the world is going to end. And then he starts weaving in some stories about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And this is a a topic very familiar to the disciples. If you read through your Gospels, over and over again, Jesus refers to this kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And it really means a couple things. One is that one day Jesus Christ will himself rule on this earth and the kingdom of heaven will be realized. And he will rule physically on a throne and be king of kings and lord of lords on this earth. Whoa. But what he also refers to in this story is that while the master is away, the kingdom of God will be handed over to his people, to his servants, to you and I, and to the church of Jesus Christ, and we will be entrusted with the kingdom until who? The master returns. And so when he read in verse 14, again, it will be like the it is so critically important to know that it is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Jesus is trying to describe what this kingdom of God will look like and what your role and what my role in the kingdom of God is to look like. Now, let me just stop and pause right here. Are we living for the kingdom of heaven? Are you and I living for our kingdom or our career or our finances? Or are we living for something a little bigger than that? Are we living for this idea of the kingdom of God? That there's something bigger that our lives to be about? Are we settling for a short-term perspective or a me-centered perspective as we live? Or are we living for beyond the day-to-day, like just getting through the day or just getting through the week? Or I can just make another year of it. Or are we living for something that's called the kingdom of God that is eternal, that has ultimate value, and that we can give our lives to? I'm going to just go ahead and spill the beans. The point of the message, the point of Jesus' story, and then we'll unpack it, is that the life that is best lived is a life that is lived in the perspective of the kingdom. That if you and I are going to live our lives for the right things, that we're going to live our lives in such a way that it it has a part in the kingdom of God itself. Because every other perspective that we choose to live life by is broken. If it's a me-centered perspective or a someone-else-centered perspective or a career-centered, all these other perspectives are broken. They're insufficient. 
I don't know about you, but no career is worth giving your life to. There's something bigger than that. And if we don't find this perspective of the kingdom, we will live our lives in frustration, we'll live our lives in waste, and we'll miss out on the whole point of why we are here. With that said, let's dive into this passage. Let's dive into this teaching of Jesus and make sure that we've got the right perspective to live our life for the right things, not just today, not just this year, but for, for our lifetimes that we'd live for the kingdom of God. So the first thing I need to tell you is let's talk about talents. It said talents in the passage, right? On the screen it said bags of gold. Those are both accurate um, uh, translations of what the scripture says. A talent is a measurement. I know school's not in. This is going to hurt your brains, kids. I know this is going to be hard. But a talent is 75 pounds. It's a measurement of 75 pounds. Okay? And so what Jesus was saying is, is that he gave, um, the master gave his servants one talent, two talents, and five talents of gold. Let me break that down for you. I looked online this week, and you can buy gold by the ounce. And it's $1,139 an ounce. Now, there's, this is going to be hard. There's 16 ounces in a pound. Everybody still with me? Two heads nodding. That brings $18,224 a pound for gold. You remember that Bugs Bunny, uh, the, the, the one episode where he would find gold and he would and dance all around? And Yosemite Sam would follow him around and try to steal his gold and he'd bring in those big nuggets of gold and trade it in for a carrot? My wife's loving this. She's a big Bugs Bunny fan. Like she, she, I finally used Bugs Bunny in 10 years. A talent of gold would be a huge, barely can carry it, nugget of gold, or in this case, a bag of bags of gold. And so the man that was given one talent would have received, in today's money, if you multiply the 18,000 by 72, uh, 75 pounds, is $1.366 million worth of gold. The one that received two talents would receive 2.7 $33 million of gold. And the five talents would get 6.68, say it with me, million dollars worth of gold. And yet some of us are thinking, that doesn't seem fair. Why did one get one talent? Why did one get two talents? And why did someone else get the five talents? That doesn't seem fair. It says, it doesn't say specifically, but it says they got it according to their ability. And I think what we all need to realize is we all have different abilities. Is that true? Thank God I wasn't doing anything on the stage before I came to speak on stage because I have no ability for anything else. I've also given up the fact that I would ever ride a motorcycle ever again. I fall off them. I do not have that ability. And so we can all say, yes, I, we have certain abilities and others have others. See, when we keep asking that, doesn't, why, we keep asking the question, why isn't that even? Why isn't it fair? I just want us to realize that we'll never live for the things of God and for the kingdom of God if we get stuck on that question. If we keep asking, why do they get that and I don't get that, we will get stuck. And we're asking the wrong question. Maybe you've never gotten past that question. Why did I get a spouse, didn't get a spouse like that? Why don't I have a job like she's got? 
Why can't I sing or perform or play or lead or earn money like this other person? And the first thing I think we need to realize if we're going to live for the right things is what the, the, the servants intuitively knew is we don't focus on what we don't have, but what you will do with what you do have. See, neither, none of them argued about, well, he got five and he got two and I only got one. There was no arguments from the servants. And if we're going to live a life for God, we can't focus on what we don't have, but what we will do with what we do have. Can I tell you, every single one of us have been given a fortune. Every single one of us have been given a fortune. You might feel like you're a one-talent person, that you didn't get as much as some other people, or I'm a two-talent person. I, there's other people that have more than me. Then you've only been given one or two million dollars worth of treasure. And when I'm talking about talents, you got to understand Jesus used money as a way to illustrate a point. But this point isn't just about money when it comes to this parable. It's really about everything that God has given us. It's so much bigger than the, the implications go across our entire spectrum of our life. And it's symbolic of every single thing God has given you. And when I think about just doing the best with what God's given you, I always think of my favorite, one of my favorite movies. It's Forrest Gump. You like Forrest Gump? I love that movie. And, and I know I'm not a smart man. And I know it's not a real show. But I love, I love a man with an IQ of 50 and what the show portrays him doing with this little bit of ability, with this one talent worth of stuff, and just how much is done through a life that is just yielded to the purposes of God. You know, um, Thomas Edison said this, if we all maxed out everything we are capable of, we would astound ourselves. And I believe that to be true. And at the end of Forrest Gump, it's such a fitting moment. I think he's, the author's tying the whole story together. And Forrest's mom is in her deathbed. And she says, Forrest, I'm dying. And she says, I hope I've been a good mama to you. He said, you've been a great mama. And she says this, all we can do is the best with what God gave us. That's exactly the point of the story, and that's exactly the point of Jesus' story, is all we can do is the best with what God has given us. So let me just ask you, what has God given you? Take inventory in your mind right now. What are the things that we take for granted but that God has given us that we uh, can use and invest for him? He's given you relationships and opportunities and abilities and uh, finances. And he's given you most of all, think about this, he's given you the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's given you an opportunity for a relationship with him that us stuck in our sins and depraved and unable to rescue ourselves that he came down and made a way for us to have a relationship with God, to be renewed from the inside out and to live life in a way that is not human, it's above human, it is supernatural. We've been given the very gospel of Jesus Christ and that changes everything. It is truly a fortune. It's a fortune. In fact, Jesus said, who of you, 
would give up the whole world in exchange for his soul. Now, the master, here's the next point I want to make. So first thing is we got to just do the best we can with what God's given us. But secondly, we need to understand that the master is the owner and the servants are just simply servants. That the master in the story entrusts his wealth to these different servants, five and two and one. But it never says that they own those possessions, but they're simply stewards or managers of those possessions. That it's still the master's money, it's still the master's stuff, and they are just there to use it. And none of the, the servants questioned that. Did you notice it? They never pretended like it was theirs. And they knew what we so easily forget, don't we? We so easily forget that everything we have is not really ours, it's really whose? It's really his. It's really his. And everything that we have is his to leverage for him. Everything that we have, you have to leverage for him. That's why the first two servants, whether they got five or whether they got two, they were praised and commended by their master and they were told, well done. Because they had taken what God had given them or the master had given them and then used it to the best of their ability. While the third one is scolded for doing exactly the opposite. Guys, we have the same choice. We have the same choice. Will we use what God has given us for ourselves? Will we use what God has given us or not use it and waste it? Or will we use what God has given us for him? And your answer, listen to this, your answer will depend on one thing. On how you, who you view as the owner of those things. How well you leverage the things you have really depends on who you view as the owner of those things and why you were given them in the first place. I'm going to tell a story. This just happened in our lives a few months ago. Um, Gabriel and I had lent out some money to a friend, and um, it was a significant amount of money for us. This was some years ago, and uh, this friend kind of fell out of our lives, and we don't see them very much anymore. But when we run into this, this family... Um, it bothered us, and we would remember the, the money that we had loaned them and that they had not paid us back, okay? Yeah. And, uh, and as Kyle, who led worship for us today, him and I, he's our intern here, and he, he, him and I were reading a book called The Treasure Principle. And in The Treasure Principle, the, the author, Randy Alcorn, tells a story of, um, of how he had lent out a radio, a stereo, probably a boombox back in the day, and he'd loaned it out to a group of people, and when they returned it to him, it was dirty and beat up and didn't work like it used to work. And in the book, he says, but I realized that that wasn't my stereo, it was God's stereo, and I should be okay with how it was returned because God wanted to use it in that way. And I got really convicted and challenged, and so I come home, and I'm talking to Gabriel about it, and I was talking to Kyle about it, and I said, hey, listen, this whole thing with the money that we had lent out, I think, I think God's trying to say something to me that we need to let go of the fact that we lent out whose money? Our money, but we had given out whose money? God's money. And because it was God's money, whether we get paid back or not doesn't really matter anymore. And we decided, you know what, we just, every time we see these people now, we need to not remember that. We need to remember that it was God's money and not ours anyway. 
you know what? Uh, standing on the stage two weeks ago, you guys presented a gift from the elders on behalf of you guys as a, as a blessing to us financially, a bonus for our family. And that check was the exact amount that we had lent out some years ago. And it made me, reminded me, it's not mine. And it's not yours. It's his. So, I'm going to ask you again. What has he given you? What are the things that he has entrusted to you? And what are you supposed to do with the things that he's entrusted you with? And you, you're probably sitting there, you're, you're well-intended, and you probably are thinking, well, that's just the point. I'm not exactly sure what God wants me to do, what I'm supposed to do in this life. I'm, I've been asking God to tell me what exactly is my mission or how exactly am I supposed to invest in the kingdom and how do I take what I've been given and multiply it out like the people in the story. So let me ask the question in a different way. Maybe this will be helpful to you. Instead of saying, God, what am I supposed to do? Ask this question. God, who am I supposed to become? Who? I want you to start thinking about this. Who am I supposed to become? Or actually, God, who do you say I should become? Who am I supposed to become in front of you? And I I want you to think about it in four different areas of your life. We're going to use the acrostic SOAR. S-O-A-R. I think I got that right. (laughs) Not like you're sore, like falling off a ladder, right, Randy? Soar, S-O-A-R, because God wants us to soar. So there's four areas of your life I want you to think about. How, who is God asking me to become? And the first area of your life is in your soul. Who is God asking you to become inside where no one else sees? Who is God asking you to become in that secret inner place? Because you can be dying inside or you can be thriving inside. And no one else can know. Only you and God may know where you are in that journey. I found out this weekend, Christmas Eve, uh, that my cousin uh, took her own life, about my age, in her mid-40s, and she looked fine on the outside, but on the inside, she was dying. She wasn't thriving as God intended. She wasn't soaring in her soul like God wanted her to. So let me just ask you, how are you doing? And the only way you're going to soar and the only way you're going to thrive and the only way you're going to be all that God wants you to be in your soul is you live a life connected with God himself. That is, there's no other way around it. That is the way everything in here starts to make sense is when you live a life connected, in fellowship with, close to, uh, making mistakes but owning them and walking close to your God. So if you want to soar, in your soul this next year? Who do you want to become? What is that going to look like? And what I'll ask you to do is think about two things. What would 15 minutes a day with God make a difference in your soul? Can I tell you, I don't think there's a better investment, 15 more minutes or more every day or most days, getting alone, getting a Bible, talking to God, pouring out your heart, letting him speak into your life, that your soul would thrive. Like never before. And is there anything more important than your soul? Is there anything more important than the condition of your soul? It's more important than the condition of your roof. It's more important than the condition of your living room. It's more important than the condition of your refrigerator. It's more important than the condition of your career. It's more important than the condition of your kids' sports programs. It's more important than anything else is our soul.
Make it the priority of your life. Make that one thing the priority of your life, that you will become who God wants you to be because you are connected with him in a heart level because you spend time with him. My second suggestion is that if you haven't done so already, you find a small group of believers. We've got 11 or 12 of them in this church. And you find a group of believers that are working on their soul too, and you grow together with them. You would never regret either of those decisions. Secondly, who would you want to become in your soul and who do you want to become in your occupation? In your occupation. Okay, there you might have goals. Uh, there, there may be uh, things out there. Uh, there may be uh, schooling that you want. There may be a promotion that you're looking for. How can you excel in what you do? Do you think God wants to excel in what we do? Absolutely he does. Absolutely, he wants to excel in what we do. And so the question is, how do you invest a little bit of time in yourself in order that you can become all that God created you be to be so that like Colossians 3 says, that whatever you do, work at it for the Lord. And so that by the way you live, people will be drawn to our Savior because you do your job or you do your schoolwork and you do these things with excellence. So who do you want to become in your occupation? I want you to think about that. And what little investment or large investment or whatever kind of investment you make in yourself would make a huge difference if you were intentional about it. Think about that. Third thing is this, is our abilities. Who does God want you to become in your abilities? How can you take what talents God has given you and grow them? And grow them because every single one of us here, whatever abilities God has given us, they are not a finite uh, amount. There's, there's always room for growth and improvement. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care how seasoned you are. I don't care how skilled you are that we all can grow in our abilities. I called a guy, uh, he's a friend of mine. He pastored a church of about 400 people a few years ago and actually went to work for another church now. And I called him up at the end of the year. I said, hey, Mike. I want to grow as a pastor in 2017, and you've been where I want to be in growing a, leading a growing church past where we are today. I said, would you coach me next year, and we will talk at length every month, and you will basically kick my tail and help me to grow in my abilities to pastor and teach and lead a church beyond my abilities today because I don't want to be stuck at where I am today. I need your help to help me grow. I want to invest in me to become a better me and grow in my abilities. What is the thing that you could invest in that would pay huge dividends, not just for you, but for the kingdom of God? And I see some of you writing these things down. Please take out your pen and start writing some ideas down as we do S, O, and A. What are some things you can invest in? And lastly, this, in our relationships. Who does God want you to become in your relationships? Other than soul, I believe this is the second most important thing. Who does God want you to become? What kind of spouse does he want you to become? What kind of uh, parent? What kind of child? What kind of coworker? What kind of employer? What kind of employee? What kind of brother? You think start thinking about the relationships in your life and how could you invest strategically and intentionally in those relationships so that uh, God will be glorified and you'll be living for the kingdom of God in those relationships. Now, take all four of these things and I want you to understand something. 
you will not drift into becoming better in any one of these areas of your life. It won't happen by accident, and it won't happen by uh, just chance. You can't just hope for it to happen. Hope is a terrible strategy. Hope isn't a strategy at all. So what, instead of drifting into the kind of person that is thriving in their soul and growing in their occupation and using their abilities for the glory of God and leveraging their relationships for the kingdom, here's what you got to do. Instead of drifting into those things, you need to declare these things into your life. You need to determine, you and I need to determine that these are the things that are important to us and that we take action on the things we know to be important. So here's what I want you to do. If you haven't done so already, grab your pen and begin to write down what is important to you in your soul. What are you going to do differently to feed your soul? What are you going to do differently with your abilities? What are you going to do different in your relationships? And begin to write down what those ideas are. And then when it really gets good, and I'm giving you permission to do this, get on your device, wherever you keep your calendar, And the way this becomes a reality in your life and not just hoping that it happens is you actually block out time in your schedule to do these things. So, you should be getting them out. (laughs) This right here. If you want to know where I'm at, I have to look every day. And so if you took your calendar and you opened up Google Calendar or if you opened up whatever you use. Anybody still use paper calendar? Wow. Wow. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. You know, these are pretty handy. (laughs) Whatever. Hey, whatever works. But here's the deal. It is only going to make a difference in your life if it actually makes it to where? Your calendar. And I see a lot of people looking at me and not many people writing or putting stuff down. So let me just, as I'm talking about this, you go ahead and give yourself permission to start to write some things down in your schedule and in your calendar. If you want to be an engaged parent, then block out time with your kids. If you want to be a parent that leads your children spiritually, then block out time to get in the scriptures or pray with them together. If you want to be an engaged parent that knows what's going on with your teenager, then you block out time and spend time with them. You have a family night or you do things and you block out the necessary time so that you don't just hope that it happens and when they turn 18, they turn out to be a good person. No, you've invested yourself in such a way that you can stand before God and he'll say, well done. If you want to grow as an artist, then you block out time to read and to study and to create and make time for that. I have a friend who's writing a novel, and he blocks out three nights a week to write two hours a night. And he, sometimes it works, and sometimes he comes up with garbage. But he says, I've blocked out those times, and the only way I'm going to finish this novel is if I stay the course. And he's made time for it to become what God wants him to be. If you want to invest yourself spiritually and be spiritually alive there's nothing greater than a little bit of time with God and I don't know what your calendar looks like but your day should probably start with a block of time that just says God time and it's an appointment that you keep just like you would with your kids just like you would for work that you don't let anything interfere with that this is your time with him and if somebody asks you to do something you say I'm busy because I want to thrive in my soul If you want to go to the next level in your career, it will require you to get better than you are today. Is that true? It will require more from you than you're giving today. 
Now, the big, the big twist in the story that Jesus told, the five talents and the two talents and the one talent, comes when the first two come back and they say, hey, we've doubled your investment and here it is back, master. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. The twist comes when the third one comes back and he had not invested and he had not responded to the invitation and he had not leveraged the master's resources for the master at all. And you could say the, question, the obvious question is, why did he respond the way he did? I believe it's the same answer as to why some of you are responding to God's leadings right now and writing things down and putting things in your schedule, and some are not. It's the same answer because there's a heart condition that is required. I want to point out something to you. The servants are calling him master. The first servant calls him master. The second servant calls him master. And did you notice the third servant calls him what? Master. He calls him master. But look, he also says, I knew that you were a cruel boss. He says, I, I, I perceived you to be a wicked thing. Now, you've got to understand, the first two servants who had been trusted with the five talents and the two talents, they had no problem believing that the master was good and that the master was going to return and the master was going to reward them for their faithfulness. And so they perceived the master in that way. And because they perceived the master in that way, it was easy for them to respond faithfully with the things that were entrusted to them. But the third servant was different. He viewed the master differently. He says, you're cruel and you harvest where you don't sow. And so you're this wicked master. You're not this kind master. And because he viewed him that way, he wasn't willing to put in the effort to work for a cruel master. Just like you wouldn't go the extra mile and work extra hours for no pay if you had a jerk boss, right? And so he refuses to do the work because of how he views the master. And I'm bringing home for us, your view of God will ultimately determine your use for God. Your view of God will always determine your use for God. So you wouldn't give yourself to a hard master. And if you're not investing yourself in the kingdom of God, it could be because your view of God is not where it should be. See, if you're blaming God for something in your past, you won't be of any use to the kingdom of God. If you're holding a grudge for the circumstances that you find yourself in, you will bury, you will not invest what God's given. You will bury it in the ground like the third servant did. If you're having a pity party over the gifts you've been given compared to someone else's gifts, then your gifts will go vastly underutilized in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you this morning? We have a master. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ the creator of heavens and earth, the one who rules over this universe. Though things may be seem like they're falling apart, they aren't. There's a master, and he's not a cruel master. He is a good master. And though this world is broken and beats us up, there is a good, loving master. And all things he owns and everything you have that is good in your life have been entrusted to you by this good master. And because he loves you, he's poured out on you so many beautiful things. And he's gone away for a while. But this master is coming back. And when he comes back, he wants to find you faithful. And he wants to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. 
See, the last thing we need to talk about is there is a God, and he is coming back to settle up with each one of us. The master has been gone now for a couple thousand years. Jesus left this earth, but when he came, he promised that he would return. This parable is true. He says, I'm going to go along. He says, for a long trip. It's been a long time, hasn't it? He said, I'm going away for a long time, but I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I want to settle up accounts with my servants because I want to reward those who have been good and faithful. And I want to, uh, and I want to settle up with every single person. So let me just ask you, have you only known God on a surface level? Or maybe this, this morning you would say, I even view God as a harsh, cruel master. And the things that are broken in this life or the things that are broken in my life are a result of God and his cruelty. Can I tell you something? Instead of viewing God as a cruel master, you need to learn to know him as a loving savior. See, a cruel master would not come and die for you and I. A cruel master would not subject himself to punishment on our behalf. A cruel master would not teach about love and demonstrate love and promise to return and give us good things. A cruel master would not do what Jesus Christ did who bore the penalty and the weight and the, the shame of our sin and took it upon himself so that you and I could be free. A cruel master doesn't do that. And so if God... Uh, has been a cruel master to you, and it's time for him to become the loving Savior in your life. That may be your step this morning. For others that know him as a forgiving Savior, can I just ask you, are you ready for his return? Are you ready for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant? My challenge to you this morning is to get the perspective of the kingdom and get ready for his return. A little poem I love so much, just two lines, it, it means so much to me. It says, just one life so soon will pass, and only those things for, done for Christ will last. Guys, that's the bottom line of what Jesus was teaching, is don't live your life for anything else but the kingdom of God, because everything else will come to an end and come crashing down and have zero impact and importance one day other than the kingdom of God. As we begin to reflect on that and how, how that's going to change how we live, I just want to say you, you can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about your past. And, and if you feel like me, that you've fallen short in, in living for the kingdom and living for the right things. Well, the only thing you can do is decide something different about today and tomorrow. I want to remind you that God has given you a fortune. God has given you a fortune. You may have millions and millions of talent that God is just waiting to unleash in his kingdom. If nothing else, you have this one life to live. And this one life you have is precious. It's valuable. It's, it can be so useful. It can be leveraged so much for the glory of God. I just want to challenge you, You're not, it's not going to happen different this year than it was last year unless you decide and determine and dictate your time in such a way that your abilities and your soul and your relationships can soar as God intended them to. Don't bury what you have. Don't bury it. Use it for him. That one day as you stand before him, he'll be able to say, well done. 
my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come, share your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but I don't know that there's anything better to live for than those words to ring in your ears as Jesus himself is looking at you eyeball to eyeball, and he says, well done, well done. You've been good. You've been faithful. Come, I'm fired up about how you lived your life for me. Come, let's party because you did it. You served me well and you served me faithful. If you're not ready to meet him, if there's fear in your spirit this morning as you think about meeting the Savior, go ahead and bring the lights down. You need to surrender your life to God today and realize it's not a harsh master but it's a loving Savior who welcomes you home. He wants to be your master, but he doesn't force that. He leaves it to your choice and my choice to recognize him as the master and ruler of our lives, that he's not a cruel master, but a good master, a loving, kind master who would die on a cross for your sins and bear the penalty of all that keeps you from thriving in your spirit, everything that keeps you from knowing God personally, everything that would keep you from heaven one day. He bore the sin and the shame of all that and has made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. If you'll simply yield your life to this good master and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for the payment of your sins, then one day he will welcome you home the same way. Let's pray together. God, we just think about the implications of this story that you told and just how powerfully it rings in our ears that we're truly not the owners of anything we have, God. And God, if if others in this room are like me, that we get so caught up in the little things and the daily things that we lose sight of the big things and the right things and the kingdom of God things. And this morning, if we just want to confess to you, God, that we're we're not going to live for those things anymore. God, we want a change of perspective. We want to be intentional about living for the things that matter in our lives, like like knowing you and like uh, relationships. And so this morning, God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we just want to declare to you I want you to be my master once again. It's yours, not mine. It's your kingdom, not my kingdom. It's your gifts, not my gifts. It's your life to live, not me. And we surrender ourselves again to our good master. And our heart cry would just be to this morning, God, make me useful to you. God, I want to live my life in such a way that I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And Father, in this room, if there's anyone here that has trepidation in their heart about meeting you one day, it's because they need to get right and ready. They need to take you on as their master. God, would you convince them, I can't do it, but would you convince them that you're good? and that you love them, 
And that that's why Jesus Christ came, is that they could know this good master who made them, who loves them, who's willing to forgive them if they simply cry out and say, Jesus, I believe. I believe in you as my payment. If that's your prayer this morning, just cry out to God and say, Jesus, I take you as my master. I want to follow you. God, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.